Gifted to serve is the name of the, uh, the title of the sermon. Gifted to serve. Verse 7 of this chapter says that every single Christian, not just the elite, but every single Christian, if Christ has indwelt you with His Spirit, every single Christian has been given spiritual gifts. This is how this works. Every single Christian. And the church needs these gifts to function properly, to develop properly. Body parts not functioning properly could be fatal at worst. Minimally, it could retard the growth of the church. So spiritual gifts are absolutely critical. This is not a side topic. This is like, well, well, let's see when we get to this. This needs to be heard now. This is critical for Paul to get across to the Corinthians. This is critical that the Lord will make this clear to us today so that we're able to know what spiritual gifts are all about. So many misunderstandings about spiritual gifts. And so today we're going to ask one question. We're going to try to answer one question today, okay? Three points, and I'm going to give you the points ahead of time, but we're going to try to answer one question. This, this is the question. Why have we been given spiritual gifts? Why have we been given spiritual gifts? And these are the three points I'm going to give you to you ahead of time so that we can follow along a little bit easier. Spiritual gifts have been given to us to serve one confession. Spiritual gifts have been given to us to serve one Lord. Spiritual gifts have been given to us to serve one purpose. Okay? So I just want to give you head, get that ahead of time so we can follow along a little bit easier. Now, Paul is basically responding to a letter written to him concerning various topics, and spiritual gifts are one of them. Follow along with with me in verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Paul's responding to this issue now. It's just another list under laundry list of things for Paul to address. And this was a big deal because the Corinthians were experiencing trauma because like, okay, is this right or wrong, Paul? Help us to understand this. This is all new to us. And quite frankly, it's kind of bizarre at times. So is this how it's supposed to be in the life of the church? Paul's going to respond. And there's a dysfunction, as I mentioned, in the church because they started ranking certain spiritual gifts above another esteeming them above others. So the Corinthians began to raise up more dramatic gifts because of their former background. Read verse 2 with me. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Pagan background. That means non-Christian background. Gentile background. We all have a background. We all come from a certain type of background. Perhaps you were raised in a Christian home. But many of us, including myself, didn't grow up in a Christian home. I have a background. We all have a background. Even if you have grown up in a Christian home, could you identify some things that are not of Christ? Right? We need to continue to identify these things. And let me give you this writing by David Pryor, a, com- a commentator on 1 Corinthians. He writes this to give a little bit more background of what potential is happening in Corinth. He writes, as we examine the next subject brought to Paul by the Corinthians now concerning spiritual gifts, we need to remind ourselves of the pagan background from which most of the Christians in Corinth had been delivered. This was essentially based in the Greek mystery religions in which spiritual experiences were the norm. 
They had grown accustomed to being moved by some kind of supernatural or demonic force, either into a state of trance or into ecstasy or into some strange course of action. Such inspiration, in quotes, was regarded not merely as normal, but to be expected. But as a clear authentication of the reality of the divine force involved. If there was no such clear manifestation of inspiration, the power of the relevant divinity was suspect. Meaning, if there wasn't some kind of a dramatic, spectacular, supernatural occurrence, God must not be in it. God must not be in it. So pagan worship was mystical, ecstatic. Some of the practices that they have learned about is that they would take drugs, they would take alcohol to take them to an altar state. We know from the Temple of Diana that temple prostitution was part of this process is, is to take you to a different state, different mindset, different frame of thought, an altar state, so to speak, Okay. And spectacular occurrences and dramatic occurrences validated that this was a legitimate spiritual experience. And there was, they imported this idea, this value into the church. Can you see where this could cause some confusion, church family? So instead of just seeing every spiritual gift as a blessing, they set a rank, rank and, and, and rank different spiritual gifts to gain status. This is, this is a problem. Division was occurring through this. So let's keep all this in mind as we answer, look at the first point here. Why have we been given spiritual gifts? Point number one, spiritual gifts have been given to serve one confession. Confession. Follow along with we, we, verse 3 here. Therefore, why is it therefore? Well, Paul's addressing that specific question in this letter. Therefore, Paul is saying, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What was happening in Corinth? Perhaps a situation like this was occurring. Some seem to own some of these more dramatic gifts. And they're speaking and they're gaining influence in the church. And perhaps the Corinthians are saying, am I supposed to submit to this person? Is this what spirituality looks like? Is this what proper Christian living looks like, Paul? Right? That's very important. So Paul, just like in, as John directs in 1 John 4, he says, test the spirits, right? Don't believe every single spirit. Test the spirits. So Paul is giving, gonna give them two tests to discern if these teachers who are gaining influence are legit or not. We all need to understand how to be more discerning. So really there's two tests, but really there are two sides of the same coin. They're going to reveal the same thing. Is this person a truly spiritual person or not? Should I listen to this person or not? All right, we all need to be discerning because there's a lot of false spirits, false teachers, false doctrines out there today. So how do I know if this is a genuinely spiritual person? Test number one. Jesus is a curse test. Okay, let's read verse 3 again. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is a cursed what does that mean? Jesus is a curse. That means that these teachers were condemning Jesus' nature. They're condemning Jesus' character, his personhood. 
They're basically denying his essence and promoting a false version of Jesus. So what, could, what was happening in the day? Many commentators believe that there are Gnostic teachers. What is Gnosticism? What is this whole idea? Basically, the Gnostics taught that anything physical, the human body, anything that you could touch and feel with your hands is evil. And that only the spiritual elements of that thing is good. So therefore, if Jesus is good, he didn't exist in bodily form. He only existed like a spirit, like a ghost. That's a false version of Jesus. And therefore, when he went to the cross, Jesus' spirit never died. It was just his body, which which is accursed anyway. It doesn't matter. So they denied the bodily resurrection of Christ. So what happens when you teach a fake Jesus, a false version of Jesus, and you deny the resurrection of Jesus? Basically, you lose Christianity. There is no Christianity without those two facts. So these Gnostic teachers were coming in and teaching this sort of thing. And what, what their appeal was this, brothers and sisters, perhaps you can relate with me. They appeal to this. Hey, I got a secret knowledge. I got a higher knowledge that you got to get a hold of. You know, these other, Paul and these other teachers, they only take you to certain levels. Let me take you to a higher level. That was a prideful appeal that they made to the Corinthians. I have a secret knowledge. I have a higher knowledge. In essence, this is happening today. Many false teachers exist today. Our Lord predicted it. Paul predicted it. All the epistles talk about false teachers. Where many, these false teachers, how can you tell if they're false teachers? Because they preach a fake, a false version of Jesus. Outside the church, we acknowledge Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Muslims. They acknowledge Jesus, but they proclaim a different type of Jesus. Christian science. All these are outside the church. I think it's easier to distinguish that, okay, we don't believe the same Jesus. However, in Acts 20, 29 and 30, look this up sometime. Acts 20, 29 to 30, Paul predicts that this will happen. That grievous wolves will rise up amongst you, talking to the Ephesian church. He didn't say they're going to come from the outside. They said they're going to rise up from amongst the ranks here. And as a pastor, that provokes me because, okay, where are, you, where are we at here? And so COVID-19 has been an incredible season, has it not? And I think this has driven us a lot, many of us, to online for great equipping. And perhaps people have sent you links to, hey, you got to listen to this sermon. Hey, check out this conference. Hey, why don't you listen to this supposed prophet? He's going to discern the times for us, right? Have you been a part of that before? Have people tried to get you to listen to other things outside of our church family? I'm sure it's happened. It's happened to me. Or how about this? Hey, let's join this Bible study. They go, they go really deep, and we're going to get a higher knowledge here, right? There's so many dangers out there. Of course, these other false religions are very serious, but... We kind of know the jerseys that they're coloring, that they're wearing. We, we know they're not part of our team. But what's dangerous is when it gets become like, it gets, becomes like guerrilla warfare, when get, things get really camouflaged, where we talk the same things, where we claim to be the same. But there's a subtle difference that takes us away from the truth of who Jesus Christ is. There are many cults out there. Cults are basically groups that say you only can be saved through our teaching. 
and through by joining our church. Many cults out there who promote a secret higher knowledge. This is around now. Don't kid yourself. Don't think that conversations amongst us, those things don't happen. These things certainly happen. When I was coaching at the University of Southern California, they were all over college campuses, everywhere. They prey on young people who, are, and who want to learn, who want to know the truth. Hey, get with us and we'll teach you a higher knowledge. This is where you got to be a part of. So we need to protect one another. I mean, the, the Bible says in Acts 20, 28, before that, that there are shepherds to guard the flock. If you have a question about a certain Bible study, a, a, a preacher, let the pastors know. Let us investigate. Let us vet this out. Let us talk to the people to see if this is legit or not. Even like in Acts 17, be like the noble Bereans where you search the scriptures to see if this is true or not. We need to guard one another. There are a lot of false teachers out there. Let's go to the second test here. The Jesus is Lord test. Okay, the Jesus is Lord test. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Jesus is Lord is the common confession of every single Christian. Remember Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord, you will be saved. What did Thomas say in John 20, 28? My Lord and my God. This is the common confession of every single legitimate Christian. This is where you could tell if this person is a spiritual person or not. Discernment. Now, obviously, it's not just talking about words, right? Anybody could say Jesus is Lord. But as you observe the life, as you hear what they're saying, as you sense their attitude, can you see a life that's submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord? Can you see obedience? Can you see the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in their life? Do you see a consistent pattern of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Can you see this? So as you encounter other people... Paul's telling the Corinthians who seem to be spiritual, do they promote the message that Jesus Christ is Lord? Or are they promoting themselves? Are they promoting their own glory? Because spiritual people are always about Jesus Christ. They want to lift Christ up. They want to sh- glorify Christ. You could kind of get a sense. Is this person about himself? About his organization? Or is he about Christ? This is a surefire way to to tell. So watch. Listen. As my old coach told me, just watch them. They tell you who they are constantly. It's more important to watch them. All right? Watch their lives. See the fruit in their lives. All right? The reason why a spirit-filled man or woman is about Jesus Christ is this. Because as Jesus said in John 15, the spirit will testify about me. As Jesus said in John 16, the spirit will glorify me. Right? The Holy Spirit is all about Jesus Christ. Amen? That's point number one. A spiritual person confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. Let's go to point number two. Why have we been given spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts have been given to serve one Lord. One Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. But let's look at verse 4, 5, and 6. I'm going to read this for us. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, 
and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, results. But the same God who works all things in all persons. Right here, Paul puts the Trinity front and center stage right now. He's explaining how spiritual gifts works by modeling the Trinity. What am I talking about here? There are three members of the Godhead who are working together. Right here, verse 4, 5, and 6 explains that there's three eternal beings. They're distinct. And they have three distinct roles. And they have one unified goal. So by looking at the Godhead, how everyone has a function, we all have a function. This is how this works. This is a picture of how the church is to function. Just look to God. Remember, we don't want to look to another human example or another church. Even We want to look to God himself. Go to the source. How does God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit work with one another to accomplish a goal? Likewise, Christians, brothers and sisters here, we are called to perform our roles. So each member of the Trinity has a role. Look at what it says, verse 4. The, the Spirit dispenses the gifts. The Holy Spirit gives us the gifts. Verse 5. The Lord assigns the roles. He has, He's the master architect. He will assign the roles. The Father empowers the gifts. So right now, if I'm just preaching on my own strength, worthless. Worthless. That's why we pray, Spirit of God, empower this preaching. Nothing happens without God's hand. So let's get a little bit deeper. Verse 4 says a variety of gifts. I think the original language is helpful to understand this. Charisma. Charisma. In essence, grace gifts might be a better translation. Grace gift. What does grace gifts mean? It's by grace. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. God gave it to us, whatever our spiritual gift is, because He decided that's what we need to serve the church. He gave it to serve a function. And jump down to verse 8, 9, and 10 with me. I'm just going to just kind of go through some of these gifts here. And Paul gives us a list here, verse 8, 9, and 10. Word of wisdom. Perhaps that's a gift that you have. Perhaps you're able to apply truth and be able to communicate wisdom. The word of knowledge. Perhaps you've been gifted to really study the scriptures and to understand divine truth. Perhaps your mind is wired that way where it's easy. It comes to you. And you're able to communicate it. Perhaps you have the gift of faith. This is not saving faith. Because all Christians need saving faith. This is extraordinary faith. Have you met people who have this ridiculous conviction? And they just do stuff like, man, why would they do that? Why would they give all that up to do that? Right? That's what the Paul's talking about. This gift of conviction Uncanny conviction. Perhaps you have the Bible talks about the gifts of healing. Right? Some sign gifts that Paul talks about here. Where gifts were, uh, anytime someone was healed was a gift. Gordon Fee, a uh, commentator on 1 Corinthians, points out how gifts is plural. So his opinion is that no one, no one person had a particular gift of healing. Other than the apostles, but... The gifts were every time someone was healed, that was a gift. You prayed for someone, they're healed. That was a gift. How about the effecting of miracles? What's a miracle when the Lord intervenes and changes natural events? And the only way you could describe it is that God must have been in it. Miracles. 
sign gifts. Prophecy. This is basically the gift of prophecy is being able to speak truth, speak for divine truth. It's basically a mouthpiece for God. How critical were the prophets before the New Testament was written? Okay? Distinguishing spirits. This is discernment. Is this the Holy Spirit or the spirit of the Antichrist? Right? I mean, people have, some people have a very uh, clear view of how to distinguish. Now, that's of the Lord. That's not of the Lord. That's from Satan, right? Various kinds of tongues. What is this? It could, in Acts chapter 2, it talks about human languages. Where known human languages, people were speaking, and like, how did I know that language? To communicate at Pentecost, to spread the gospel to all people groups. That's clearly talked about in scriptures. This could potentially be some kind of private prayer language as well. And then the interpretation of tongues. Basically, this is what he or she said. Someone's able to understand it and communicate this in an edifying way to the church. So Paul points out nine gifts, and I'm just and, and, and some and many of these gifts are very supernatural, very dramatic, right? And so perhaps that was the issue that Paul was addressing. But in Romans 12, 6 through 8, you get he, here's another list: prophecy, service. Teaching, exhorting, generosity, leading, mercy, right? So these are also a list of gifts that Paul talks about. Now, I want you to understand, this is not an exhaustive list. I'm not in any of this. This is just uh, listings that Paul pointed out and, and chose to write out. These aren't, these aren't exhaustive by any nature. And these aren't even exact categories. I mean, oh, I have the gift of teaching, or I don't have the gift of teaching. Well, it may be different shades. Let me explain what I talk, mean by that. Think of ourselves as spiritual fingerprints, all right? What, what's a fingerprint like? Well, every fingerprint is unique, right? That's why you get, you get your Apple phone, you can kind of open up the phone or your computer because your fingerprint is supposed to be unique. One of a kind, one of a kind. Think of ourselves as spiritual fingerprints, where every Christian is given a unique profile in regards to spiritual gifts. We might have various shades of varieties of different gifts. So it's not like, say, I have the gift of teaching only, all right? You may have been gifted in various degrees. I have the gift of leadership. Well, you might have various degrees of leadership. You have different styles even. Each person has different training opportunities to enhance these gifts. And so what the Lord does is He blends all these degrees and shades and, and, and varieties to give you your profile. This is what I, I have to offer to the church. And I came up with this kind of this example. I was thinking about a friend of mine, and this is, this is what I kind of came up with him. He definitely has shades of leadership. He definitely has a dash of wisdom. When he speaks, there's some good things that come out, how to apply the truth. He definitely has a heavy helping of teaching. This guy could teach. And when I think about this brother, he's overlaid with compassion with all that. that that's his profile, amongst other things. So perhaps that describes you, but it's never going to be exactly the same. This is how the Lord gifts the church at Evergreen and every other local church. With different profiles. Every single Christian here has a very different profile of spiritual giftings. And in verse 5, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are different roles assigned by the Lord. Remember, what did he say? Matthew 16, I will build what? My church. 
He's the master architect. He's the one with the blueprint, right? He's the one who is building every single local church. He is the one that assigns the roles. He knows what needs to be done. And so the Lord provides the blueprint as he builds his church. And every Christian has a role. And you may have a gift or that profile of gift, but you might be asked to use it in a different context now. Think about it, how we're opening up here with the Lord's Day next week indoors. Perhaps you have the gift of service, and perhaps you've been serving for decades in a certain ministry. Perhaps you've been, you, we're asking you to do something different. Right? Same gift, different context. Perhaps like as Pastor Paul talked about, you have the gift of teaching. Maybe you're, we're asking you to use that gift to teach the children. Right? And there's different contexts. Same gifts, same profile. Perhaps you've enhanced in these areas, but different contexts, different roles. The Lord is calling us to do different things. Things don't stay the same. Okay, just because your gifts may be the same, and you, and that doesn't even stay the same. We're all continuing to get refined in how we utilize our gifts. Amen? Variety of effects. This means that God is the one that makes these things effective. Otherwise, we're just operating in the flesh. doesn't work. Even non-believers could do things really well, but have no spiritual impact. That's why the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city... The watchmen watch in vain. The Spirit of God through the Father generates effectiveness. So we definitely need to know how to come under the Lord's leading. Every believer has a gift and a role. We have to understand this. It's not so much about being gifted. Hear me now. It's not so much about being gifted, but more about being a gift. We're called to bless one another. That's what this is about. It's not so much like this is how I'm gifted, like the Corinthians were focused on. It's more like being a gift to others. This is what the Lord is calling us to be about. Now finally, finally, let's get to the final point here. Why have we been given spiritual gifts? Point number three, spiritual, spiritual gifts have been given to serve one purpose. Purpose. Verse 7, follow along with me in verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Those are the gifts. The Spirit shows up by giving the gifts. Why? For the common good. For the common good. This is that one purpose so that we serve for the common good. This is a singular purpose of our gifts. To help build up the church. To bless other people. This is not about us. To own a gift is not about, like, how can I enhance myself, like the Corinthians might have been doing. To own a gift that's been given to us by grace is to see, how can I bless other brothers and sisters? This is what this is all about. And if you don't use it, think about it. Every single one of us miss out. We miss out. We need you. The Lord has called all of us who are in Christ to serve your gifts. And I want to give an application here. Just one application here. What are we supposed to do this? Pastor Paul talked about we don't want to just be, he quoted James, we don't want to just be hearers but doers of the word, right? Amen? So what's the application here? Everyone needs to be serving at Evergreen SUV. Whatever capacity. Everybody has a role. 
I believe our culture is very consumeristic where uh, I don't get anything out of it. What do I get out of it? Oh, I don't really like that. I don't like that. That's really, the mind, that's really the wrong mindset. That's really a worldly mindset where the Lord is calling us to serve one another. And when you serve, as we are constructing our, how the Lord is guiding us to disciple the church, serving is one of the massive components of, of the discipleship experience here at Evergreen SUV. It's huge. If you're not serving, you, you're completely missing out. Let me explain some of this. When you serve your gifts, you basically you edify one another. And you're, you're able to experience a joy of blessing other people. There's a joy in there when you're able to help edify others. But also, you'll be edified as well. You'll become part of a team who's on mission. We're trying to create some kind of camaraderie amongst the brotherhood and sisterhood to serve in different teams. This is what we're trying to do to train up the leaders, to create a culture of this is what we get to do for the church. Not this is what I got to do, but this is what I get to do for the church. This is how I serve the Lord here at Evergreen SGV. And this is when you're able to be in team with other brothers and sisters. What happens is you grow the intentional discipleship relationships with one another. People are able to see you when you're performing. People are able to see you when you're down. People, you're able to see and you're able to disciple others. This is critical that we enter into these relationships. And this is also a, a value for our team leaders. That we want to see teammates over production. Yes, we need to get things done. Absolutely. We need to get things done. However, it's teammates over production. Always check in to see how somebody's doing. Always. This is what any good leader does. It's always about the, the, the Jimmys and Joes. Isn't it about the X's and O's we used to say, right? Care for the people. Connect to the people. Get to know one another. Teammates over production. So everyone is called by the Lord. This is not my words. This is not just my own uh, 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 preference. This is what the Lord has called every single one of us to be a part of. Let's get involved with serving somehow, some capacity here at Evergreen SGV. This is where you're committed to help build the local church. It's a stewardship. And then perhaps you're saying, you know what, I don't know what I'm good at. Sign up for anything. We'll help you figure it out, right? You'll figure, you'll never know unless you don't try. Parents, have you just said that to your kids? You never know if you're going to like it unless you try it, right? You got to try. If it, none of us tried, we'd be st- stuck in the same spot. You got to try. Now, I'm just going to finish up here out of Ephesians. As, as Sister Irene read out of Ephesians, so thank you, Irene. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to finish up with just two verses. Ephesians chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters I told her this morning, and uh, thankful that she was able to read all of it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Meaning, each one of us, there's another repeating that every single Christian has been given a spiritual gift. Now, I want to read this next verse, verse 8. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. What is Paul talking about right here? 
Isn't this cool? It's all windy. The Lord has given us like a one last, like, this is, hasn't this been awesome experience, right? You got to remember these things. These are the things that you remember. That's why you go on family road trips, right? So you can remember the good and the bad, right? This is what draws us together. This is what draws relationships together. You got to remember this. It's going to be nice and air-conditioned indoor and things going to be kind of bland at, at that point. We're never going to have the leaves flying on our head, <laughs> helicopters flying over our, our heads, airplanes trying to land at El Monte Airport. I mean, this, this, we're not going to forget this, right? But let's get into the mind of Paul. Imagine with me for a second here. Paul was a master at painting a picture. And when he was talking about in verse 8, what was he talking about? Picture with me this. A conquered war hero, a general, returning from battle, from victory, from conquest. And he's coming back home. And he knows what's going to be waiting for him when he comes back home. You know what's going to be waiting? A hero's welcome because they had a huge victory. They defeated the enemy. And he's going to be riding back into his hometown, riding a right stallion, which is emblematic of conquest, victory. And the tension, the hype is building up. He's getting closer with his men. And they're preparing a hero's welcome for this war general. As he's coming into town, he could feel the intensity as the crowds are gathered, as the thunderous cheers are being felt and heard from, from ways off. He's coming back. He's coming back. Let's get ready. And as, you, as this war general rides on his horse, he's accompanied with two groups of people. One set of men and women look different. They're marked with a different appearance. They're marked with a different dialect or language. And they have a different look from the general. They have a look of defeat. These men and women are prisoners, soon to be slaves of the people. The war hero has conquered this city and brought these people to be slaves for this city. Why does this all this happen? It's inspired a confidence in their leader. And but there's another set of men that with him who share the same look, who battle for the same ideals, who have the same look of victory in their eyes. And as they're walking through the streets, marching down the streets, everyone is hailing them because these men have come with spoils of victory, treasures that they've looted from the city that they just conquered, treasures that they took away from the people to dispense to the, everyone who would identify with them. This is a happy moment. This is an incredible moment. And the cost was great. People have died along the way to make this victory happen, and the people know it. So as they receive the gifts, thank you, thank you. You represent us. We know this came at a high cost. In similar fashion, when Paul wrote and quoted the Psalms here in verse 8, it says, It is written that our Lord ascended on high. Jesus Christ, when he left heaven, ascended back to heaven. He came back as the war hero. Because what happened was this. He was back from earth, was victorious, having 
conquered evil and sin. All the angelic beings, heavenly beings are cheering him. And it is also written that he led captive a host of captives. What does that mean? When he conquered sin and death on the cross, and when he resurrected bodily from the grave, he was declared Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And he led a group that is his own back home. That's the church. That's us. He wants us back. And as he's doing this, it is also written that he gave gifts to men. Not only did he conquer sin and death to give us salvation, but above and beyond grace, gift, charisma, he gave us gifts to use. So when we don't use these gifts, which came at a high, high price, the greatest price, the price of God dying on the cross, we trample foot underfoot the price that it took to give us these gifts. It is also written in Revelation 19 that Jesus Christ will return riding white horse to deal with his enemies someday. And in that day, hear me now, brothers and sisters, in that day, all you want to hear is, well done, good and faithful slave. That's all you want to hear. Well done, good and faithful slave. So let's make sure that when he comes riding back on that white horse again, we'll be found faithful to using those gifts to build up his kingdom so that there are more captives set free so that parade someday is going to be phenomenal as we march down the streets of heaven together with one another with our Lord leading the way. Amen? This is what we're talking about. This is, this is serious business. This is more than just, okay, what gifts do I have? What, are, what, what are, I have been given? This has never been about us. It's been about our conquering hero, Jesus Christ. So as we sing this last song, let's keep all of this in mind in our hearts. Let's have our hearts full as we sing this last song. O church, arise. Let's sing this last song in a worthy manner. Let's sing it in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Let's sing it in a way that we can hear one another and encourage one another as we do this together. This is a special time. Let me just read you a verse here. O church, arise as saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of His grace. We hear their calls and hunger for the day, for the day, for that day. When with Christ we stand in glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you so much, Lord. You are so gracious. Your word is so powerful. Thank you that you give us treasure in your word so that we could know your son more, so we could know your heart more. Forgive us, Lord, for, for not being as faithful as we could be in ministering our gifts, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, move us to be faithful in serving our gifts, Lord. Help us to be doers of the word as James talks about. Help us, I pray that every single brother and sister here at Evergreen SGV will be serving their gifts to help build the church here at Evergreen SGV. Lord, will you build a strong discipleship culture here? 
And will serving be a huge part of that, Lord? And I pray these intentional discipleship relationships will be birthed and fortified in these opportunities as we serve one another. So, Father God, I pray right now, your spirit will move us and ignite the truth that been implanted to our hearts right now and help us to sing in a worthy manner. And may this worship be pleasing to you, Lord. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.